that we may hear a word from you in the words that follow. Our New Year's celebrations here in the United States are a remarkable phenomenon when you think about it. New Year's is one holiday that is entirely arbitrary. Fourth of July, Veterans Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Columbus Day, these secular holidays all have specific reasons for the dates on which they fall. They all recognize something that happened at that particular day, on that particular day. But that's not true with New Year's. New Year's is just marks the random turn from one calendar year to another. We could mark the beginning of the new year on the first day of February, or at the beginning of July, as many companies and institutions do. But no, the oddity of the Julian calendar, because of the oddity of the Julian calendar, we happen to mark January 1st as our new year. It's also amusing to me, as people get older, we resist celebrating birthdays, so somehow that stops the march of time. But New Year's, we can't wait to celebrate. And I think in part it's because of its randomness that New Year's celebrations tend to be letdowns. Since we're celebrating just for the sake of celebrating, people wake up on New Year's Day and ask, why exactly did I do that? Was that overpriced meal or event really worth it? By far the most intriguing aspect, at least to me, of New Year's is the New Year's resolution. It's, calendar, it's, it's a new calendar year, 2018. It marks both an end and a beginning. It gives us reason to reflect on the past year and to look forward to the new one. So are you one of those people who makes lists for New Year's resolutions? And if so, what are they this year? Do you have any special ones for 2018? Or do you merely recycle your list one year after another? I tried to find out if other countries have this same obsession with New Year's resolutions. And so I opened up my my trusty Google search engine and typed in New Year's celebrations around the world. And I found that people around the world celebrate with fireworks, quite common, ringing of church bills, even in Spain, apparently the eating of 12 grapes to symbolize the 12 months of the year. But resolutions? That might be uniquely American. I'm not quite sure. Couldn't figure it out. See, Americans to our credit, uh, as a people, are all about self-improvement. The quintessential example of this, you can go all the way back to Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. Franklin's autobiography has been in print continuously for more than 200 years. It is, by any estimation, a rock star bestseller. And it's the paradigmatic story of the American dream. Here is Franklin, who grows up in the great city of Boston, and then decides for some odd reason to leave, uh, and moves to Philadelphia where he makes his way over the course of his life. Franklin is a successful businessman. He's an inventor, a diplomat, and a founding father of our country. And throughout his life, Franklin sought to make himself better. He held himself to a very high standard in his daily routine. One of his publications, Poor Richard's Almanac, is full of daily aphorisms on how to improve your life. Americans want to be like Ben Franklin want to be that success story. We want to work at it one resolution after another. This year, early to bed, early to rise, it will make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, maybe. The self-improvement model has had a remarkable staying power in the United States. The other day I was flying back uh, to Houston from Chicago, and 
as is normally the case, I wandered into the Hudson booksellers to see what they had. Unfortunately, this particular bookseller was very uh, thin on books, but it did have a whole shelf of self-help books, many of which were in the form of autobiography, like Ben Franklin's great example. The one that struck me the most and I nearly bought was Ray Dalio's Principles. Ray Dalio is the founder of Bridgewater, one of the largest financial firms in the world, with billions and billions of dollars under management. Incidentally, Ray Dalio is a member of a UCC church in Connecticut. This book is several hundred pages of tips and suggestions on how to be a success in life. He boiled down his own perspective into a useful blueprint. It's like, wow, it's that easy. I just embraced Dalio's principles, and I too can become a billionaire. Now, that's what I call a good $15 investment. But I didn't buy it. I don't want to stand up here and be a total skeptic of self-help or New Year's resolutions. Cynicism is fun, but I'm much more interested in truth. Obviously, certain New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. Just because the calendar changes doesn't mean you're going to permanently embrace that new fad diet. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but you know the Atkins, Paleo, South Beach, Paula Deen, Nutrisystem approach will not likely change your whole life starting January 1st. The reason is that the mere change of calendar is not enough of a motivator to alter long-ingrained habits, admirable though it may be to try. If you weren't motivated enough to make the change prior to January 1st, it's unlikely that that, that random day will be the catalyst for a lifelong change. Similarly, other long-standing habits, like my enduring tendency to be less organized than I would like, won't magically change by writing 2018 on the top of the page. But that's not to say that our annual ritual of making resolutions is a complete waste of time. Some resolutions do stick, and they do make a difference. But why? Why do some resolutions on New Year's work and others do not? Have you thought about that? As the year 2007 came to a close for me, a year which, as I mentioned several weeks ago, was one of my worst, I resolved to make things better in 2008. Specifically, I did two things to try and make a difference. First of all, I recognized that I needed more friends to be happy in my new life in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The fall of 2007 was the beginning of my work as a chaplain at Harvard University. Most of my friends from high school and college had moved away, and I felt quite isolated in my job as a college chaplain. In response, I resolved to create a new social space on the Harvard campus with the help of my friend Tim McCarthy. The key was, I didn't resolve to make five new friends each week or something else like that. I resolved to change my environment, to change the structures and social institutions I relied upon to support a new life. And it worked. I set up an accountability network with others to foster change. It was not just me, armed with my own willpower, trying to make a significant life change. I did it with other people. The other big change in 2008 was professional. I realized I was frustrated as a chaplain because too few students made their way to the campus church. It's not easy being a college chaplain. College students are busy. And if I wanted to attract them, I realized I would, I would need to do something that catered to their lifestyles. In response, I created a worship service on Sunday nights, specifically geared to students. Students might not, awake up, might not want to wake up early on Sunday morning, but they might come to something on Sunday evening. Also, that age group tends to like things that are meditative. They give them a break from the routine of their daily lives. 
The Sunday night service ended up being a big success and equally importantly gave me something to focus on and a new challenge in my life. In both of these 2008 New Year's resolutions, I changed the structure of what I did rather than focusing on individual habits. A couple years later on New Year's, I made a resolution to travel overseas. I love experiencing new things. Research has shown that experiencing new things expands our minds and brings us happiness. For years, for years in graduate school and during my first couple years of working, I didn't have the money to travel. But in January 2010, I sucked it up and resolved to go overseas. And I ended up taking three trips, one to Ecuador, one to England, and one to Turkey. And those trips, not only did I relish at the time, but I still fondly remember them today. The key for that resolution was that it was concrete and achievable. And even more importantly, it was something I actually really wanted to do. But I just needed a nudge to force me in that direction. In my experience, creating social structures and resolving to do things you already want to do are two ways to make resolutions stick. But what about you? What resolutions have worked for you? You ever thought about why they worked? Do you have any good suggestions for this year? This past week in my internet meanderings, I ran across some intriguing resolution lists that got me thinking about goals for 2018. One list of resolutions that caught my eye were from a group that produces TED Talks, those short videos in which people share key insights that they've gleaned from their experience in the world. That list includes watch 10 movies that were written or directed by women. In this culture of hashtag me too, when sexual assault and views on women are so often marginalized, we can all broaden our horizons by seeking out female voices and letting those voices shape our view on the world. Another interesting TED Talk resolution was choose one person you disagree with and take them out to lunch. All of us have people in our lives who press our buttons and whose viewpoint deeply challenges our own and we prefer to avoid them. What if we sought out at least one of those people and spent a lunch listening to him or her? To grow as individuals in our fractured world, what better way than to have intentional listening? An intriguing one to me personally, schedule weekly time to be bored. I'm not talking about Sunday sermons, by the way. <laughs> yes, that's right. One goal is to be intentionally bored. Being bored and not filling up every moment, we can become more creative people. But I'm not, sure, I'm not quite sure if it'll work, but I, I certainly am willing to try it out. But I was even more interested in a different resolution list. This one came from Jim Wallace. Jim Wallace is the editor of Sojourners magazine. He's a self-avowed evangelical, but one who is committed wholeheartedly to Jesus' call to social justice. He is a leader of the evangelical left. Yes, such a thing does exist. In his most recent edition of Sojourners, he lists his resolutions for 2018. Some of them fall into category of aspirations that require personal willpower and therefore might be difficult to achieve. Wallace resolves, resolves to start each day by saying yes to God something that we all should do but might be difficult to live out each and every day without some supporting change to life. He also resolves to name and say no to injustice, to have no tolerance for injustice when he sees it. It's easy in our current world to become numb to unjust actions in our society and in our world. We read something in the news that makes our blood boil and resolve to get motivated to act, but then the next day... We read something else, and the next day, something else. Before long, we stop reading the news, 
decide to take a break from Facebook and just browse Instagram or Pinterest for new design ideas. Wallace feels that temptation and wants to resist it, to remain hungry for justice at a time when it's needed. Wallace also resolves to pray for those in power, even those people who might be hard to embrace. That sounds to me like an admirable goal for us all. Can we pray for those in our political world who make our blood pressure rise? Prayer, in this case, can open our hearts to compassion while not denting our commitment to be followers of Jesus. It can become a channel for grounding ourselves in God and seeing the humanity of everyone around us. Wallace also resolves to react to things not out of emotion, but out of his faith commitments. So easy for us to get caught in our echo chambers politically. I fall into this all the time. We read the newspapers that support our views and talk to our friends who share our politics. It's tempting to let our, view, our viewpoint be shaped by our political affiliation rather than by our faith in God. Something that people of faith need to do, especially at this time when society, when in society we can feel so divided, is to ground our opinions and views in Scripture. Given our commitment to the Bible and to God, we have the chance for legitimate conversations across divides that separate us from our fellow Americans. So long as someone else is committed to God and the Bible, I am convinced that we can have conversations with others about how to respond to one another in love. These resolutions of Jim Wallace I, I really appreciate, but how can we make sure that we actually incorporate them into our lives? Again, we need social structures, an institutional life that creates space for them. On our own, we're not likely to do them, but with others, with routine, with structure, we have the chance. You know, if only there was a place where we could gather with others to reaffirm our commitments to justice, to pray for all people, especially our enemies, and to call us back to the Bible and challenge our echo chambers. Oh, wait, we do have that place. It's called church. Here, FCC. You want to resolve to be better Christians? Resolve to come to church and make it a routine. Get involved in a small group or something outside Sunday worship that gives you accountability to God and to the people here. See, we here want to make things easy for you. Congregational church. It's kind of fun thinking about New Year's resolutions. And when you think about these things, there's no more helpful or insightful book in the Bible than Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes is a true biblical outlier. The book made it into the Old Testament canon most likely because it was attributed to King Solomon even though almost no scholar today thinks that Solomon had anything to do with writing Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, by his own admission, was the master of New Year's resolutions. He spent his life sorting through ancient self-help books, like Proverbs, to see how he could live the best life possible. Proverbs has some helpful, Proverbs has some helpful Ben Franklin-esque tips for living. Great, let's try them out. Oh, you have a helpful hint for the, living the best life? Great, bring them to me. After trying to live these out one after another, Ecclesiastes comes to a common conclusion. They rarely work as advertised. Like modern skeptics of New Year's resolutions, Ecclesiastes wanted very little to do with your standard list of resolutions. I guess he didn't... I, if I were to guess, uh, Ecclesiastes was someone who enjoyed eating chocolate and didn't go to the gym as often as his spouse or doctor wanted him to. Can't blame him much there. Yet here in chapter 3, Ecclesiastes offers his own... New Year's advice, his own helpful insight on how to face the new calendar year. After living and surveying the world, he concludes, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven.
For everything, there's a season. Unlike the modern world, with its constant obsession, with its obsession on constant improvement and the march of progress, the ancient world was more sober as to the state of the future. Things moved in cycles. History has a tendency to repeat itself. A wise person, the Ecclesiastes, recognizes this reality. Yes, over a long time horizon, things have gotten better for society. But for an individual, over the horizon of a year, do things always get better? Always improve? Necessarily. When we obsess over progress, over self-improvement, we get so caught up in our goals that we often miss what's going on around us. Ecclesiastes offers a helpful antidote to this overemphasis on self-improvement. Remember that everything has a season. In 2018, there will be some things that go right. Some of us will experience joyous births in our families, big life milestones, new jobs, promotion, new schooling, a new relationship. Some of us will get in better shape and finally implement that new organizational strategy. But in 2018, there will also be some things that don't go right. People will die whom we know and love. And sometimes those deaths will be unexpected and hit us particularly hard. Some of us will lose jobs or lose touch with friends who just drift away. If there's one thing we know about 2018, it will have both its ups and its downs. The danger of the obsession with, with improvement is it can leave us feeling unprepared when things go wrong. Small setbacks can become devastating ones. It's helpful to acknowledge that most things are out of our control, even if we are, at our, even if we are the best at setting resolutions. Even Ben Franklin and Ray Dalio were subject to the different seasons of life. All the self-discipline in the world won't change that. A faithful outlook on the new year would have us think realistically about last year and the year ahead. What do we want to change and why? Will those changes realistically stick? How can we alter the structures of our life to make it happen? How can, we, how can we remember to keep God at the center of our lives? How can we live out our calling to be disciples while standing up for justice and loving those around us, even those who are our enemies? In the midst of it all, how can we remember to keep a level head when things go well and when they die? For everything, there is a season. I do pray that 2018 is a new season for you. In the midst of it, it's good to bear in mind another piece of Ecclesiastes' advice. It is God's gift that we should eat and drink and take pleasure from our toil. Take time for sober reflection at some point today. I know it's random. Today is as good a day as any to make resolutions. Spend this evening with those whom you love. Remember that these joyful times also come from God.